This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, it's the 14th of October, 2014, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, with Rob and Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob. There you go. Good morning, Rob. It's a lovely day today. Yes, a lovely day in beautiful Blackburn South in Melbourne, Australia, which, and uh, what better place to... uh, Consider doings on the other side of the world 150 years ago. 150 years ago to this day, because this this podcast is all about the journey of the CSS Shenandoah, the Confederate warship that only a few days ago left... uh, Only a few days, 150 years ago. Only a few days, 150 (laughs) years ago left left, uh, the UK... And is, at the moment, heading on its way to a rendezvous off the coast of Portugal. Actually, it's not quite the coast of Portugal. It's the island of Madeira, which, checking Google Maps, is is a long way out into the Atlantic Ocean. Well, that's that's the thing about a ship. It can can move about the world quite quickly. That's that's kind of the whole point of them. Um, Now, this is uh, the the difficult second podcast. So... um, and what what's happened with this podcast is something that's going to be happening um, quite frequently in our yearly course uh, because it's a, it's a truism or indeed a cliche about war that war is great periods of boredom followed by periods of intense terror. So um, what we have here is the first occasion on which the, the Shenandoah is at sea and not much is happening. In fact, it's not even the Shenandoah yet. No, no, no. The Sea King, it hasn't changed its name yet. That's what's going to happen at the rendezvous in a few days' time. But before we get to that, what we're going to do at the start of every episode is just have a quick look back on what we talked about the week before. And if we have any uh, errors, attributions or omissions to uh, take care of, this is the point that we'll do it. Now, I'm suspecting at some point, because we are not, in fact, civil war experts in any way whatsoever, we're going to make quite a few of these as the journey progresses. And if we uncover what the uh, the real answers are to some things in the intervening time, this is the opportunity for us to, to sort them out. And this is where I'd like to start. We had a, uh, a fairly long disquisition last week about the... Appalling, On terrible Civil War beards. Yes. yes, the appalling state of, in fact, false beard technology yes. in Civil War films. Specifically, Gettysburg and its prequel, which was actually made several years later, but obviously with a much lower budget, especially for beards, uh, gods and generals. I mentioned that uh, Tom Skerritt played General Longstreet. In actual fact, it was Tom Berenger. Well, well, Hard to tell because of the uh, (laughs) the gigantic uh, woolly animal that he seemed to have pinned to his face, or fibreglass animal, 
but uh, it was uh, I, got, I got the wrong Tom. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, we've lost the Civil War buffs there. So um, now uh, our second uh, era, uh, sh- shortly after, was um, uh, when you mentioned Bruce Boxleitner, who in fact was in Gods and Generals, but. Uh, you made a call on his uh, his previous acting history. I said he was Captain Sheridan in uh, Deep Space Nine, when in fact it's Babylon Five. Babylon Five. I believe the name Sheridan was deliberate in that, though he he's meant to be a descendant of the Civil War general. I think that's mentioned at some point. Now, if I'm wrong about that, in next <laughs> next in the next podcast. I can point out in our errors and omissions there if I got that one right. Uh, I think our errors and omissions are probably going to get quite better over time and uh, might, in fact, uh, start taking up uh, quite a lot of uh, the uh, the podcast running time. But anyway, so so um, so I think we've managed to to uh, to piss off both the uh, the Civil War buffs and also the um, Babylon Five and Deep Space Nine buffs. And does that leave anybody else in the universe that we haven't haven't pissed? We off? have also. Definitely pissed off uh, the false beard wrangler on <laughs> Gettysburg and Gods and Generals, whoever they may be. I could check Internet Movie Database to find that out, I suppose. Yes, yes. Anyway, now, um, so that's our, our errors. Um, not perhaps terribly serious errors, but we thought we'd, uh, we'd get them out of the way. Now, uh, we also come to attributions. And in our last podcast, uh, we uh, had some uh, considerable discussion of the... Um, Confederate raiders that preceded the Shenandoah um, uh, operating um, um, out of Liverpool, um, not operating out of Liverpool, but commissioned out of Liverpool by Commander Bullock, and uh, we neglected to say where we were getting that uh, that information about the Confederate So I'm raiders. solving that right now by, again, holding it up to the microphone. Yes, yes, everybody can see what uh, Michael's holding up to the microphone. It's, it's an Osprey book. Uh, the Osprey books, as you know, have the wonderful colour plates in them. Sadly, yes. this one, Confederate Raider 1861 to 65, has one scant photograph of the uh, Shenandoah. Yes, yeah. look, it, it's a, a very useful and concise, it, it is a bit slim, I think it's, it's 48 pages, but it's a very useful and concise description of the Confederate Raiders. Uh, but I have to say, the, the Shenandoah being the last, and it's got a lovely, um, one of those cutaway illustrations on the front, and, and when I saw that on Amazon, I thought, oh gosh, I hope that's going to be the Shenandoah. And when it arrived, of course, it was the Alabama because I think I think the Alabama are probably going to be dogging us throughout um, our podcast. I think there will be invidious comparisons <laughs> the whole way through. Yeah. It's certainly something that needled uh, the captain of the Shenandoah. Absolutely. Um, captain um, James Iredell Waddell, who, uh, mind you, I have to say, at this moment is not captain, um, because he has not taken up his uh, commission. Yes, the ship has not been commissioned yet. So now another, I don't think it's so much an omission, but uh, something that will let, will let us segue into the topic of uh, this podcast. Um, when the, the Laurel and the Seeking uh, left uh, both uh, Liverpool and London respectively uh, on October the 9th of um, 1864, on October the 4th, 1864, a Confederate raider had just met a very, very sticky end in Brazil. Would you like to take us through that mob? That was the that was the Florida, which was another successful raider. It had taken uh, something like forty prizes on her two cruises. Yes, which is pretty impressive. 
unfortunately for the poor Florida, um, on its second cruise, it entered a harbour in Brazil. Yep. And there was another warship at anchor. And a US warship. You, well, you do the traditional hail, and they thought it was a British gunship, oh. not a Union one. But they'd been duped. Oh, was this was this a false flag operation? It was. It was. Uh, and there'll be many such false flags yes. throughout our journey. It was a a very common way of uh, naval subterfuge to be used, where you put up a flag of a uh, of another country. Which, which can I say on land? On land, that's called being a spy, and it gets you shot. It gets you shot. But yes. but at sea, it's it's perfectly legitimate. Uh, so the uh, the mystery gunboat raised its steam and rammed the Florida, backed off, and then opened fire. And uh, it was actually a vessel called the USS Wachusett. Yes. And within 20 minutes, the Florida had to surrender. Well, I think if you'd been rammed in a neutral port, which is probably not what you're expecting... Um, pretty poor show. Pretty poor. And this had caused a... Serious diplomatic incident that this was going on in a neutral port in Brazil. In yes. Brazil, I, I have to say, given the um, given the history of um, U.S. Uh, South American relations, I suspect that the uh, the Union government uh, couldn't care less uh, about um, that. But this is the sort of thing that comes out later on, where people are very mindful of uh, causing diplomatic problems. Yes. Yes. Because uh, they get stiff letters. They get, and, uh, yes, but also you don't want uh, major powers coming onto your side or against your side when the when as the war gets hotter and hotter. So now, um, whether or not the the crew of the um, the Sea King and the crew of the Laurel actually knew of the. Um, uh, Knew of the sinking of the Florida. It's interesting because it was five days before they left, and they did have they did have the telegraph in those days. But I'm not sure that they had the transatlantic telegraph. That's that's the only thing. That's something again. We can see if we can find out. Uh, as we know, uh, the Age newspaper was remarkably well informed about the Shenandoah yes. when it arrived in in Melbourne. So. And that's, that's a lot further around the world than... And there certainly wasn't a Trans-Pacific telegraph in that stage. But I think probably what happened then is um, they, they would have had um, information coming in from ships that had arrived, that had left uh, Liverpool before before the Shenandoah, um, or sorry, just after the Shenandoah. And of course, the Shenandoah did not come straight to Australia. The Shenandoah, you know, took prizes along the way. And while it didn't take a, a great many prizes, it certainly was, was hanging around um, yeah, trying to, to get people on its crew. But once again, uh, we, we're going to have to um, get a name for... Um, for we, we are getting ahead of ourselves, so we, we might as well say that we are just getting ahead of ourselves. We'll get a snappy title for that later. So as the, uh, the Sea King and the Laurel were steaming towards uh, Madeira, steaming, uh, sailing or steaming towards Madeira, um, they would have been very mindful whether they knew about the, the sad fate of the Florida or not. And certainly um, a number of other uh, Confederate raiders have been bottled up in port. But this is why uh, they were adopting what would otherwise be a very difficult and hazardous operation in that they were actually going to transfer all of the 
many munitions, men, stores that, that they had accumulated for the voyage, and they were going to do this at sea. Now, um, we'll be covering um, the meeting of the Laurel and the Shenandoah uh, in our next podcast, because uh, that happened on October the 19th, uh, when the... Um, uh, the Sea King stopped being the Sea King and became the Shenandoah. But given that we are we are at sea with not a whole lot interesting happening, uh, we are going to um, basically start another of our segments, which is Dramatis Personae or, you know, cast member biographies. And we are going to start with um, the current commander uh, and soon-to-be captain of the... CSS Shenandoah, James Iridell Waddell. So, here we come to... Now, I'm going to do a errors and uh, attributions in a very mid-episode. Mid-episode, because, of course, um, James Iridell Waddell was not a commander. Uh, Commander Bullock was a commander, but um, James Iridell Waddell was lieutenant commanding. So there you go. Uh, and you can always get tripped up in, in naval uh, things because, of course, the commander of the boat is a captain, but a, a captain can be a lieutenant or, or pretty much... Yes, that may not be his actual rank. It may not be his actual rank. So, now, James Iridell Waddell, I think, is um, one of the, the very interesting figures... Um, not just in terms of the CSN Shenandoah, but also I think he's got a larger significance in that he was one of the the means by which um, after the Civil War, basically the the North and the South basically had had, had to agree on on several people who had had behaved well during during the war, several Southerners who had behaved well. And Semmes, for instance, who, you know, sunk ships right, left and centre. He was the captain of the Alabama. Yes, the captain of the Alabama. The famed uh, the famed commerce raider that sunk the most ships. Yes. But also was was an actual ship of, of war. And um, when when the uh, at the end of the war uh, Semmes actually got himself, I believe, um, entered as a major general of the Confederate Land Army. Yes, he did that specifically so that he couldn't be accused of being a pirate. Yes. When it, uh, the demobilisation yes, and, uh, yeah, and, and pardons and everything else happened. Yes. There was a bit of kerfuffle about that, but he eventually was able to get away with uh, not being charged with anything. Well, not being charged and therefore yeah, not being hung, because... Uh, that's know, what they do to pirates. That, that's what they do to pirates. Um, and the, the last action of the, the Alabama, uh, the Alabama was uh, stuck in a, in a French port and was besieged by a, um, a US ship. It was, yeah, and accepted the challenge to it, go out and... Uh, and have a fight, have a duel between yes. it and the USS Kearsarge, yes. and had its ass handed to it. <laughs> yes. It was a gallant fight. There yes. were thousands of spectators who lined the shores and came out in uh, yachts and pleasure craft to watch it all happen. the uh, The problem that the Alabama had was that it had been at sea for a very long time, and so it was not in the best state of repair, which is why it went into the French port in the first place. And rather than be stuck there, uh, impounded for the rest of the war, it decided to go out and and take a fight. And uh, it was sunk 
in about twenty minutes, I believe. Although it, it did, it did. One of its shells did did land on the um, the 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 Kearsarge's rudder, and and would have probably disabled it had the shell actually gone off. But because their their, their powder was wet because they'd been um, at sea for so long, um, their their shells were were no longer good. So, but I'm just consulting the Osprey book, which, yes. as we said, has. Lots of lovely pictures of the uh, the Alabama, <laughs> and fifteen thousand spectators were watching this this yes. this naval duel. It did happen six miles off the coast, so I'm just wondering how much you get to see. You probably hear more than you could see, but oh, well, in any well. case, and uh, Sims was actually rescued by uh, some of the uh, sightseers that had come out in yachts. He was rescued by a sympathetic British yacht, I believe. And came back as something of a as a heroic figure for going out and taking the fight directly to it. Yes, but I, I, will, I will quote quote here from the memoirs of James Iredell Waddell. Um, War is a trade and should be governed by the rules of trade. Uh, the brave conduct of Sims was magnificent, but it was not war. Now, in that quote from his memoirs, Sims is directly quote directly referencing. The, uh, the quote of the French general who saw the charge of the light brigade, where he said, say magnifique, uh, but it, that's not war uh, in French. Uh, it's magnificent, but it isn't war. And traditionally, that's what you say when you're trying to say that's not to say that what somebody did was was deeply stupid and and did not in did not in fact help the cause in any way. Um, so that's part of a, of a larger passage from uh, Waddell's memoirs where he, in fact, very mildly, because he doesn't want to annoy anybody, but he actually criticises the um, program that Bullock had for trying to buy warships because, as he says, with modesty, I will say with part of a modesty, that had any number of vessels capable of carrying one gun being purchased abroad by the Confederacy, they would have driven from the seas or captured the merchant marine of the enemy. So that's uh, page 78 of the memoirs of Lieutenant Commanding James Waddell, edited by James D. Hram. So, again, and, and that's actually what, of course... Um, Waddell did with the Shenandoah because, um, as we will certainly uh, come to it, uh, basically the Shenandoah took you know, 38 prizes having no guns that were in fact um, able to, to fire. So uh, what Waddell is saying there is that um, you know, um, if they just bought 20 of those ships and, and sent them off around the world, they would have uh, captured a lot more uh, a lot more. Um, Union ships. Provided, I guess, they kept away from the Union warships that were chasing after them. Well, yes, yes. So the biggest problem that these uh, commerce raiders and warships had was, as in the case of the Alabama, when you needed to be uh, refitted after some time at sea and went into a port, if a Union warship caught you there, you'd either have to go out and fight them and, and, as shown with the Alabama, have your ass handed to you, or you pretty much got stuck in the port. This actually happened to, to uh, Sims on a previous ship that he was on. He got stuck in a uh, French port, I, uh, in Gibraltar, I think it was, actually. Yep. And uh, in the end, he had to sell his ship <laughs> so that he'd have enough money to get uh, he and his men back home, but, which must have been a fairly embarrassing sort of thing to do. I think I think for the commander of a warship to have to sell his ship and, and run away, that... that... Yes, that, that doesn't play well. Which, 
obviously shows why he didn't do it the second time this happened to him. No, no, he chose to to go out and accept the duel and and get himself sunk, which was was glorious, but... um, Extremely glorious. In in comparison, I I have another book about the uh, Shenandoah here, and it's called Confederate Raider in the North Pacific by Murray Morgan. Yes. Very interesting book. Uh, He has a very interesting line here about Waddell's uh, Civil War record up to the point where he joins the Shenandoah, and it says, his record had not been marked by much success. <laughs> now, we've already quoted from Waddell's memoirs. Now, um, one of the very interesting things about Waddell is he was somebody who basically, during his life, seemed to make no effort at all to get on with people, but was, was thoroughly rehabilitated. Um, after the Civil War and, and after his death, which um, I, I think is something we're going to have to go into because there are a number of really quite strange uh, things that happened with Waddell's reputation, for instance. Um, there was a Charles Francis Adams class missile... Guided dish. missile destroyer. Yes. Now, now, now of course, um, the Charles Francis Adams class, um, that was not Charles Francis Adams who was... The um, uh, the ambassador to England who was trying to stop the Confederate warships. It was in fact Charles Francis Adams III, who presumably was that Secretary guy. of the Navy in the early twentieth century. Yes, no, it... no, marvelously ironic that uh, you would name a class of uh, guided missile destroyers after someone called Charles Francis Adams, and then name one of them after yes someone who was being chased by a Charles Francis. Yes, Adams. yeah. Look, I, I, I think. It's difficult not to think that that was somebody's idea of a dry joke. But, but there was this guided missile destroyer called the Waddell. So um, it was a a ship in the U.S. Navy that was named after an enemy of, of the U.S. Navy. They also There was also another ship in the class called the Sims. So there you go. <laughs> Obviously, uh, they're having a good a, a good a good joke about this the whole way through. Now, but the thing about again, um, Waddell's habit of near success and creditable failure um, kind of continued with the um, with the career of his ship because it, it was the last the last of its class and it was eventually sold to the Greek Navy, I believe. It was yes, it was renamed the Niarchos, yes. which is the name of a. Uh, General, if, uh, sorry, an admiral yes. of uh, Alexander the Great, and uh, it was later sunk as a target on the 29th of May, 2006. There you go. That's that's. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's entirely appropriate, I think, to Waddell's life that uh, you know that the ship named after him should be flogged off to a foreign country and uh, then uh, then then sunk as a as a target. Um, so now. We're going to be having quite a, quite a long look um, throughout this podcast at the memoirs of James Iredell Waddell, and um, there's a, a wonderful um, engraving of uh, James Waddell um, at the start of his memoirs. Where, for, for those people um, who are who are listening in uh, in Australia, um, basically he bears a startling resemblance to former Australian cricket captain Ian Chappell. Uncanny resemblance. An, an uncanny resemblance. You 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 kind of. You kind of want to look at uh, whether you know, whether Waddell had a, a, an affair in Melbourne that uh, with with with, uh, with Ian Chappell's you know, great great grandmother, um, but I think 
This is to say that, that Wadil was an we're old just, school... We're just joking. Yes, we, we are just joking. Yes, we do, we do, do not want to get Ian Chappell annoyed with us. Um, so, but Wadil's memoirs, they are the memoirs of an unreliable narrator. Basically, he is very much justifying his, um, his position uh, on the Shenandoah. And we are also um, going to be uh, delving uh, deeply um, into a, a very... Very uh, comprehensive book, um, which is The Officers of the CSS, CSS Shenandoah by Angus Curry, and uh, that was published in um, 2000, 2006. And Angus Curry basically sees the voyage of, a, of the Shenandoah uh, and the, the post war careers of its officers as being symbolic. Um, of, of the way in which the South and the Union came to terms with each other after the war, the way that the South justified uh, what, they'd, what they'd done during the war. And, of course, a lot of that involved basically arse-covering and, um, and, to be frank, probably quite a, a fair bit of lying. Because, again, you know, the, the subtitle of our podcast is Confederate Pirates Save the Whales. So the... Officers of the CSS Shenandoah were extraordinarily sensitive about the accusation that they were pirates. Um, quite possibly and arguably uh, because they were they were pirates. And, and very conscious of the fact that if that ever stuck, that accusation, they could be hanged. Well, again, and, and a lot of them, um, after the Civil War, decided that they were going to go and hide out in South America because, yeah, that's... Just... Yes, many of them didn't come back to, uh, to the US for a good ten years. Afterwards. So, um, once jo- again, though, we're getting very, very far ahead of ourselves. So, James Iredell Waddell, uh, he was one of a number of, he was commissioned as a midshipman in the 1830s and almost immediately uh, decided that he'd fight a duel with a much uh, older midshipman. And uh, that's basically um, the apparently the, the largest cause of death in the uh, pre Civil War. Uh, U.S. Navy was duels fought by officers against other officers, uh, and especially given um, the midshipmen's um, berth was be notoriously crowded, uh, people could be stuck there for years, and of course it meant that you would have you know fifteen year olds and twenty five year olds in, in the same confined space. They 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 seem to be very keen about duels in uh, in, in in the United States in this period. Even up to the famous uh, Burr Hamilton duel. Yeah, although I think I think it was it was much more a southern thing than a northern thing. In fact, I think that the North were, were like like the UK, where uh, duelling had basically been died out almost completely by the the eighteen fifties and eighteen sixties. Having said that, I mean he was a sitting vice president, Aaron Burr, when he fought that duel. Yes. These days, we had we only a few years ago we had a sitting vice president shoot a friend in the face. So <laughs> the tradition continues. Well, yeah, well, and got the apology for it. Um, let's 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 not go there, or, or we'll be there all day. Um, now, Erdell Waddell, um, he was commissioned as a midshipman in the eighteen thirties, but in um, the early eighteen uh, forties, in fact, in eighteen forty one. Um, the um, U.S. Navy instituted a, uh, a naval school uh, along the lines of West Point, 
And basically all midshipmen under a certain age, which must have been, I think, under about 25, well, they're told to report to that uh, that naval school. Mm-hmm. And they were called the, the 41ers or the 41s. And... Um, and again, in his memoirs, Waddell is, is actually very sniffy about this process because he was, he was old school, Waddell. Uh, you know, we'll, again and again throughout, throughout our podcast, uh, we'll be emphasising how very, very old school Waddell was. And he obviously felt that the way you learned how to you know, be in the Navy was they kicked you out to sea at the age of 15 and, you know, you stayed out there till you'd learned something. He didn't believe in this uh, book learning in the, the Naval Academy. And uh, he was very much of the opinion that uh, people learned uh, nothing on land at the Naval Academy. They had to learn it at sea. Uh, he then um, served in the U.S. Navy throughout the 1840s, again, um, without, without conspicuous success. You know, he, he served during uh, the, the Mexican War, but um, there was a, a... They drew straws to see who would go on a, a landing party and uh, get some glory. And, of course, poor old James Iredell Waddell... Uh, didn't draw the short straw. Didn't draw the short straw. Um, he had a permanent limp as a result of his duel. Uh, he served, um, again, uh, throughout the, the, the 1850s, uh, but um, uh, at the commencement of the Civil War. Um, in, his, in his memoirs, uh, he gives uh, copies of his letters to the Secretary of the Navy and to Abraham Lincoln. So he sent his, his resignation to... He sent it to the top. He sent it to the top. I suspect Abraham lost no time in, uh, in reading uh, Waddell's resignation. And they actually lost no time in sending a, a letter back to him saying, you're out. <laughs> and, and I don't think they gave him his back pay either, which uh, he, was, uh, he was rather miffed about. Um, so uh, Waddell and his wife um, managed to make it um, over to uh, to England in the uh, early 1860s. Okay, and and then he basically sat on the beach for the well, best actually, part of two before years. Before that, though, before that, he had been assigned to the uh, to a river ironclad called the Mississippi. Oh yeah, which was going to solve uh, the problems down in uh, New Orleans. And this was when they got the idea of covering uh, river boats in armor plating. Yes. And turning them into warships. Unfortunately for Waddell, before they got a chance to send the Mississippi out, before it had been finished, uh, there was the famous uh, taking of New Orleans by uh, Admiral Farragut and the torpedoes, and they had to tow the Mississippi up the river and eventually... Before they could, uh, before it could be captured, they burnt it to the oh, water. Uh, so he missed his chance. He missed his so chance. So this was yet another opportunity for Waddell to get glory that he, he missed out of. Then after that is when he headed off to possible England. glory in England. Possible glory in England. Where for the best part of two years, I believe 17 months, he basically sat on the beach. Uh, waiting for his turn. Waiting for his turn. Meanwhile, there were the... Glorious stories of the uh, dashing Captain Sims yes. in the Alabama, taking yes. all these prizes, and then going out for death or glory in the uh, in the naval duel. And meanwhile, he's uh, well, he wouldn't necessarily be pacing the waterfront; he'd be limping the waterfront <laughs> because of uh, his his dueling wound. Now, so. Um... We are going to be, uh, yes, intensively looking at uh, Waddell's uh, memoirs, uh, but um, as of 14th of October, 1864, uh, what he was doing was um, 
about to arrive in Madeira and looking forward to seeing his new command and what a command that was going to be. But in our next podcast, we'll be covering the commissioning of the Shenandoah and uh, parking back to Lieutenant Whittle's command uh, comment that we uh, quoted last week. Never was a ship more... Miserably put to sea. I more miserably agree. put to sea. So we'll be covering that um, in our next podcast, which will cover the um, commissioning of the USS Shenandoah. And from that point on, it heads off on its voyage around the world to sink as many Union ships as it could. And find. inadvertently save the whales. And inadvertently save the whales. So this has been uh, Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirate Save the Whales. Um, I'm Rob. I'm Mob. And Robert we'll see Love, you uh, next Michael time. O'Brien, and we will see you next week. Goodbye.